Hi, I'm Kathy Bixel, and welcome to the Kathy Bixel Podcast. I can't tell you how happy I am to be back in my podcasting chair after a rather lengthy absence. Uh, I believe the last podcast we had posted was uh, at the end of the spring or in the spring late spring sometime. I had uh, several family responsibilities that I needed to take care of. Uh, additionally, we, uh, our family, we sold our home, we moved, we've relocated and had to do all that packing, unpacking, moving, everything that that involves um, in the midst of living in a state with some pretty strict um, lockdown protocols. And so we are now into 2021 and all of us here at KBM, we are excited um, and looking forward uh, with, with great vision and hope at how the Lord is moving, going to con- is moving now, will continue to move, even in the midst of the atmosphere that we are all trying to navigate through. He, God always wins. And we are a people that he will cause to triumph. We won't have to triumph on our own. We have a heavenly kingdom, the host of heaven, that is backing up each one of us personally and quickly to triumph through this challenging season that may not be a very quick season. And so it has very much been on my heart to uh, do a couple of podcasts Um, to just release some, I believe, powerful keys that will help us really proceed forward in a way where we can have the most most long-lasting, fruitful impact as God's people in this current situation in our nation. But we are going to have to learn to operate out of the right spirit. And I believe that if we don't get this right— that we can possibly undo all the good we are trying to do, all the efforts we are, you know, all the ground we are attempting to take through fasting, through prayer, through intercession, all of those, and through speaking, all of those things will, will be undone if we are not operating in the right spirit. And so I want to start uh, today's podcast uh beginning with uh, reading some scripture out of Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 49. And actually, the title of today's podcast is, Would Jesus Censor You? So I'm asking you the question, Would Jesus Censor You? So let's begin in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 49. Just to give you some context of Luke chapter 9, the main characters here are James and John, uh, primarily the Apostle John, who goes on to be the Apostle John, who is kind of a background figure in most of the Synoptic Gospels, but in this narrative, he figures prominent. And uh, I think we're going to see that it shows, gives us an indication of the kind of transformation that the Apostle John had to go through, that uh, we always look at him uh, and understand him to be the Apostle of Love. We are always moved by uh, his testimony of of the disciple whom Jesus loved. But what we're going to get some insight today on is that John had to have a transformation 
his personal transformation into the expression of that love. He wasn't always that loving, okay? So which I think is uh, really an encouragement for all of us. But let's begin in verse 49. John said, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we commanded him to stop it, for he does not follow along with us. Verse 50, but Jesus told him, do not forbid such people, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now, when the time was almost come for Jesus to be received up to heaven, he steadfastly and determinedly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before him, and they reached and entered a Samaritan village to make things ready for him. But the people would not welcome or receive or accept him because his face was set as he was going to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, observed this, they said, Lord, do you wish us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked and severely censored them. He said, you do not know what sort of spirit you are. Son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them from the penalty of eternal death. And they journeyed on another village. This narrative is a perfect backdrop for giving us some insight on how we are to respond to people who, first of all, seek to do us harm, and people who behave in evil ways that are contrary to the word of God, and people that don't see things the way we see them. Encapsulated in this narrative is that dynamic. The, 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 the uh, Jesus ministry team is wanting to go into Samaria, but so the Samaritans will not let them in. The response of the disciples to this event is to say, ask Jesus, well, okay, should we call fire down on them? They are keeping us from moving forward. So should we call fire down on them? Now, the one thing that when we look at the life of Jesus uh, depicted in the gospels, that we notice that Jesus doesn't get angry very easily or very often, but when he gets angry about something, you know it. And this is an instance where you can discern his tremendous dislike of something the disciples are thinking about. Jesus and the disciples find themselves in a situation where there is opposition, there is anger, there is, we're going to find out, deep-seated offense between the Jews and the Samaritans. And as this is unfolding, the response of, J of James and John is to basically barbecue the people, barbecue the Samaritans, call down the fire of God, let's just judge these people and issue all kinds of horrible ends to them, and then we'll just get on with the things that God is calling us to do. And we see that Jesus' response to them is to rebuke them, to censor them, as it says in the Amplified, and then he goes on to decree to them that they are not even aware of the spirit that they are operating out of. When Jesus is looking at the bride of Christ right now in America, 
He is going to be looking for the spirit in which we are now operating, because the spirit in in which we operate is going to determine the outcome of our impact. If we continue to absorb the way of the world and begin to respond the way the world is responding to the situation, then we will be, we will be, there will be counterproductive results of that. So look at what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say to them, you have a bad mental attitude. Jesus uses the terminology spirit, and that is very important here. Look at, at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. It reads, it, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, you were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. The Apostle Paul is describing what people outside of Christ act like and look like and behave like and speak like. They are, it's a, he, he writes here, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. That same word spirit in the Greek, in the Greek is the word pneuma, is the same word that Jesus used to tell his disciples uh, to address the, uh, the, the error that the disciples were operating in. He said, you are not operating in the right pneuma, right? So what Jesus is talking about or laying the foundation here to communicate is that you have to recognize when there is opposition and this kind of hostility, similar to what we are experiencing in our culture currently, it has spiritual roots, okay? It is, this is a spiritual battle. And so we have to have a spiritual response that is grounded in the ways of the kingdom, not in the ways of the darkness. We have to be the salt and the light. We have to live like children of the light. So as I am moving through this podcast, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to examine your own heart because everything originates in the condition of our hearts, our behaviors, our speech are all rooted in the condition of our hearts. I want you to ask yourself, what spirit would Jesus find me operating out of? in the midst of all the chaos we are walking through. What, if he came to me, what spirit would he see me operating out of? Would he have to tell me that I am not even aware of how bad of a spirit, (laughs) how wrongly I am responding to something? The question I asked myself while reading this narrative is, would Jesus censor me? Now, I just want to take a moment to say that we see this word censor here, 
And I am not, <laughs> the last thing I want a response to be here is for someone to listen to this podcast and say, see, Jesus censored people. We should be censoring people. But what we're talking about here is is behavior as Christians that Jesus would censor. We are not talking about the free speech in a democratic society. We are talking about spiritual things here. There are, there basically when using that word censor, Jesus is saying you need to stop saying, thinking and saying what you are right now from a spiritual perspective. Shutting down and censoring someone's opinion on an issue because it's different than yours, that is not what we're advocating. What I, and that should not be advocated, especially in our nation, that is founded on the civil liberties of the right to free speech, which is solely connected in my eyes, not only to... uh, articulating political opinions or political opinions about anything, but the freedom to preach the gospel and the messages that are in the gospel. I think we need to understand that part of that censorship is for us to not preach the kingdom, but also for us not to stand up in our righteousness to decree and come in agreement with what God says is right and wrong. Because the secular secularists, the secular religion wants you to worship at their altar, which is what they say is right, is right. But we don't even have the opportunity or freedom of ourselves to say what's right, the, pl- the the Bible becomes the foundation of what we've as Christians is right and wrong. And so I am not talking about that kind of censorship, but I think it's interesting that, that this word is in this narrative in the environment we're in, because would Jesus tell us, you need to sit down and be quiet because you are operating like the devil? And that's what, I, those are words I don't want to hear Jesus have to say to me. And I don't think you want Jesus to have to say them to you either. So there's several important points that I want to unpack um, as we proceed. And some of them I may not be able to cover in this podcast, but uh, that I hope will keep us moving in the right spirit so that we can maximize our effectiveness. So when we speak about or how we speak about the enemies of righteousness, how we respond is critical. And I am also, uh, let it be said, that I am not advocating a go-along to get-along response. I am in no way advocating that we are to be meek little sheep who don't speak up. That is not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the spirit that drives our speech. How we speak... uh, to and about our enemies of, of righteousness is important. And it is possible to have a righteous cause and act unrighteously in pursuit of it. I'm going to say that again, because that is a key, a key point I want to make. It's possible to have a righteous cause and act unrighteously in how we pursue it. And that will negate the establishment of God's righteousness. And especially when we are in an environment where there is so much anger and it's easy to be angry. It's easy to get angry because there is such hostility 
already that's in the atmosphere. There are things, I'm going to be transparent, there are certain things that are done and said that I get angry at that are really unjust and unfair. One of the things that really will get me going is the hypocrisy of things, that there is so, there's one standard for one set of people in the country, and then there's another set, there's another standard for another group of people in the country of what is right and wrong. It's right for me, but it's wrong for you. And then the other uh, unjust behavior that I think is way too prevalent is the grouping and the accusing of people en masse, taking an entire group of people, labeling them, placing an identity on them, treating them as if because they believe similar things, they are all the same kind of people. And that is another, that's probably another podcast I should do. There is, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. The level of false accusation in this country is horrifying that you can just say anything about anyone and it becomes truth just because you said it someone likes what you says and said and propagates it so there are certainly things that can get any of us anger the bible says that anger is emotion god has emotion that can be uh demonstrated as anger but in our anger we don't sin we don't we don't solve the injustice by behaving unjustly. And these, the, this is very important to the Father. Listen to James 1.20. For the anger of man does not work God's righteousness. I have two other translations here. One of them, the uh, New International Revised Version. Human anger doesn't produce the holy life God wants. Another version, for the anger of man worketh not the justice of God. See, this is so critical. You know, when you really look at it, even the divisions in our nation politically, the left versus the right, really when it boils down to it, the divisions that exist, even in the church, they are about justice issues. You have on the right side of the political spectrum, the right, the pro-life, the, the, the life of the babies in the womb, um, economic uh, injustice, uh, economic injustice becomes an issue. How economic injustice is um, responded to is, is an issue. On the other side, on the left, for some reason, they seem to carry the weight of racial injustice um, and even economic injustice as well. But their views on on dealing with that in, in, in injustice, excuse me, injustice differ from those on the right. They are justice issues on each side, and so we. I am praying that there's some way that as Christians that we can come to recognize that what is unjust, that we, we can't prioritize injustices. Something isn't just, it isn't just. So racial injustice should, should be an issue for every Christian, for every believer, that all men should be treated equally, uh, regardless of their gender, regardless of their, of their race, etc. And likewise, 
every Christian in America should be concerned, deeply concerned, about the civil rights of the unborn. But see, many times I find that the exhibition of anger is rooted in personal pain. It goes beyond wanting justice. And this is what I so admired about Martin Luther King, is that he was able to put justice, frame justice in a way that was going to actually get results. Because most of the pain and anger that we see is rooted in people's own personal pain to want to get justice for what was done to them, to want to get vengeance. And that is not God's justice. He is vengeance is the Lord's. Vengeance is the Lord's. So I think that there are many believers that have to get their own inner healing, if there's, if we want to use that term, their own healing and deliverance around these ways that they have legitimately been mistreated and, um, and treated unjustly so that what the, the effort and the cause to establish justice around the way that they were hurt it can be productive and make an impact and it can flow in life and light and glory and can have the spirit of God behind it, executing it and bringing it to a wonderful conclusion. We want to see these justice issues established. And so the, the Bible is clear that the wrath of man does not achieve that, and it actually impacts the degree of holiness that individual believers walk in. So first and foremost, we have to follow Jesus' lead and recognize that this is a spiritual battle and how to keep ourselves walking circumspectly and moving in light and love and life is to is to recognize and being be able to discern and know when we are moving over into operating in another spirit. And what can help us know that is an understanding of the Word of God. You don't have to, and I don't have to, wander around stupefied about how we are going to handle living in these evil days. We have the word of God. It's a plumb line. It's the measure of how we can align our emotions and our speech and our thoughts with what God's word says. It's amazing what's, what scriptures, uh, what God has to say about how to respond to these kind of circumstances. And a perfect place to start in the word of God is this story of how Jesus responded to the opposition given him by the Samaritans. And as we continue to look at it more closely, we can see wonderful ways that we can apply it to what we are facing now. Jesus is encountering opposition, but it is from his perspective, a spiritual battle. Jesus knew that the principality over that region was affecting the mindset of the people and that was the real reason he was not able to move into that territory. Jesus also wanted to take the opportunity here to teach his disciples, and eventually we would be taught the same principle, that in order to counteract the work of the darkness over that territory, they were going to have to operate in another spirit. 
it's important to notice that when the disciples wanted Jesus to call down fire like Elijah did, Jesus at no point condemned Elijah for calling down fire. What Jesus wanted them to understand that they were now, because of him coming on the scene, they were now entering into a new day, a new era of God's mercy, love, and forgiveness, where mercy would triumph over judgment. He wanted to give the Samaritans an opportunity to change he, he knew that this was a spiritual battle, and he was going to move in the grace and mercy and forgiveness of the Father. Notice Jesus' response. They went to go to another village. Jesus just kept moving on. Notice that Jesus didn't fight. He didn't argue. He just said, I'm moving on to another village, much like he had told his disciples to do, to just shake the dust off their feet and move on when people didn't receive them. Jesus understood that the demon powers were influencing the minds of the Samaritans, and it was rooted in deep hatred and prejudice. And I think this is appropriate in light of the um, cultural, the social cultural environment that we were in. The problem here was that the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. There was an intense rivalry between them that went far back, generations back to when Solomon's kingdom was divided. And um, those prejudices were intensified when the Jews came back from Babylon to rebuild uh, when Samballot uh, had uh, brought in pagan pagan people to come in and intermarry, and intermarry with those that had come back from the Babylonian captivity. It was the mixing of the Assyrian race with the Jews. And so the hatred that that existed that was played out in this narrative was generations old. And I think it's interesting that it was rooted in race issues, which if we are honest, a lot of what we of we are what we are experiencing now is around race issues. Not only was Jesus not able to minister there, but they were not able to receive the ministry. Now, certainly they had, the Samaritans had heard about Jesus' miracles. They had, uh, and, and actually knew that he was at odds with most of the Jewish hierarchy, especially in Jerusalem. But the fact that he was going to Jerusalem was enough to offend them and make him unacceptable as a person they could receive from. In verse 53, it says that they saw that his face was set to go to Jerusalem. And that affected because they thought that he himself was prejudiced. They didn't want anything to do with him. But the other issue that we have to look at is the fact that what propelled John and um, James and John to want to call down the fire of God? Because was there, the question is, was there prejudice in their own hearts? They were raised in the culture 
where the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. So they already were prejudiced in their relationship and their point of view towards the Samaritans. So when they don't let Jesus in, that's a perfect opportunity. Woo, baby, we're going to burn them now because they're not letting the Son of God in. So listen, this is an important point. Their inborn prejudice, and this is John, the disciple of love, you know, he learned a lesson here. Their inborn prejudice caused them to misrepresent the nature of God and how they dealt with that injustice. Their own prejudice did. And this is an area that we have to examine our own hearts. Just because we have a just cause does not mean that every behavior, every movement that we make to achieve that is founded in the righteousness of God and in the goodness of the nature of God. How many of us are operating out of an Old Testament paradigm how many of us are operating out of an old covenant theology, calling down fire and judgment on, on the enemies of God as people? That is not the spirit that we need to operate in. And we could see what I love about this story is we see the transformation of the Apostle, Apostle John, who in 1 John 4.1 obviously exhibits the fact that he has learned his lesson from Jesus. He writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God, because any false prophets have gone out of the world. John himself learned how to discern the spirits when prophesying, when making declarations over people. This is so important for you to, to grasp this. God is after our hearts. And all of us, you know, these circumstances that we are walking through, they can work on our emotions. Before you know it, we have mindsets, we have, we carry attitudes, we're, we, we become overcritical, and we don't move in the right spirit. One thing we haven't even talked about yet is how this whole narrative opens, further emphasizing how important it is to Jesus that we move in the right spirit. Because the whole narrative starts out where, where John says, Jesus, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we commanded him to stop, for he does not follow along with us. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't move with our tribe, with our group. He's not in our network. But remember, Jesus told him, do not forbid such people, for whoever is not against you is for you. The plumb line for Jesus, keep using that word because I like it, so I'm sorry for the overuse, but what mattered to Jesus is the spirit in which you do something. And here, those people were casting out demons, they were doing the work of the kingdom but they and they were doing it in the right spirit. So Jesus is saying they may not be traveling with me, they may not be part of what is going on here, 
but they're doing the work of the kingdom. So not only does this narrative address Jesus' distaste for, for operating in a judgmental spirit, but he also is confronting the divisiveness and the sectarianism that can exist among his followers. And so I just think that we are off to a good start just by looking at this story where we see really what matters to Jesus and how we respond to and deal with the kind of conflicts that are common in a fallen world. And even when we are experiencing the worst of humanity among us, we as the bride of Christ, we as Christ followers can make all the difference and be advocates for reconciliation, for healing, and begin to operate in the power we are destined to operate in, because we need power. And some of our activities, some of our language, some of our behaviors are actually nullifying the power of God that we have been called to walk in as a representation of God in the earth. So I thank you so much for joining me this week. Next week, we are going to talk about the tongue. So I want you to be ready for that one. <laughs> if you feel like you got pummeled a little bit today, <laughs> you might get pummeled more next week. But honestly, if this podcast was about getting our hearts in right alignment, next week is going to be how what flows out of our heart is what we speak and how we could begin to then start speaking rightly as well as believing and living rightly. We love you here at Kathy Bixel Ministries. We invite you to follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, you can also log on to kathybixel.com where you can learn more about us and sign up for our e-blasts and other communications. We are so happy that you could be with us today, and we look forward to you joining us again next week on the Kathy Bixel Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Kathy Bixel Podcast. For more information about Kathy, her upcoming itinerary, media resources, and more, visit kathybixel.com. Again, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen. 